What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Excellent. How are we doing, church? Yeah, come on. We're at church. We're here to celebrate together. How are we doing? So great. I hope I can breathe some energy now to carry you through with me. So if anyone nods off, I'll be watching. Um, but hey, my name is Adam, and I'm the young adult pastor here. And uh, it is just a joy that I get to uh, share with you this morning. And uh, it's my prayer that my simple words uh, through God's power will be life-changing for you. Uh, and through you. Um, we are at the moment going through uh, a series called Grace. So good. Let me just share a story with you before, um, as we kick off. There was a conference um, that took place uh, in Britain where experts from all around the world came together um, to discuss religion, um, to discuss the different aspects of it and how it was different. And uh, uh, the main topic for that day was why Christianity was unique amongst every other religion. Um, and so they began to tick off a few different things that they began to talk about, whether it be the resurrection or whether it be the incarnation. And they began to talk about how other religions might claim this same thing. And then C.S. Lewis comes in. I know you may have heard of C.S. Lewis. And he comes in and he goes, what are you guys arguing about? Like, what's all this noise. Uh, and they said, hey, we're trying to you know, discuss what is the defining thing uh, around the Christian faith that really makes it different to every other faith community. And he, and he says, that's easy. It's grace. There's the Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law. You see, each of these offer a way to earn approval, but only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. You see, this is what differs Christianity to every other world religion is the grace of God, both for us and the grace of God that should flow through us. You see, grace is so important to me that I named my daughter Grace. You would have heard her during worship. She's probably out the back yelling. Uh, it's probably bedtime. But grace is vital the grace that God gives us. And because of that, we're spending five Sundays in January to talk about it. Because it's the very thing that we're, it's the very place where we operate out of. Uh, and if we don't understand it, we'll find ourselves getting stuck. And so the first week, we saw Pastor Pip talk about grace and community. And then the second week, we saw um, Pastor Don, and he spoke about grace uh, in us. And he really um, hammered down on forgiveness who felt a little challenged by that one, uh, but not just forgiveness through us, forgiveness like in us. And then today, what I'm going to be looking at is grace uh, uh, is something that we share. Grace is a gift to be shared. And so I hope today is both challenging but really energizing for you as we practice this. Let me pray, and let's pray together, and then 
We'll continue on. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. And I ask God right now as we just stop as your people and we just give you our mind and our hearts, that you would just help us do that. I know there's going to be a million things on our minds. I ask that you would just be able, help us to be present with you. And God, through the power of your word and your spirit, may you speak to each of us individually, personally. May we meet with you this morning, God, and may you change us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Grace is a gift to be shared. Now, before that, the thing that we need to labor on and really understand is first that grace is a gift. We can only give from, firstly, what we have received. And every single week, you're going to hear this point preached when we talk about grace. Because it's foundational for everything that follows that we understand that first we received this gift from God. Now, what is grace? Really simply, it means favor, blessing, or kindness. It can be explained in three words God's unmerited favor. And I love what Dallas Willard says Grace is God doing in us and for us what we could not do in ourselves. We see this most evident in our salvation, and we looked at this passage last week, Ephesians 1.7. Let's have a look. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mysteries of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. I love the wording of these other translations that we can read. That he showered his kindness on us, that his grace abounded towards us, that he richly poured out his love and grace upon us. I love another really great example of this, which is the Apostle Paul, who who, uh, was not formally known as Saul, and he was going around and he was hurting and harming and persecuting Christians, and uh, he was everything that uh, he, he, everything that we could think against Christ. And he says this as his little bit of his testimony in 2 Peter, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, there we are. Formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. See, this, is, this was a, a bad man who God met with this beautiful love of grace. And what this tells me is no one is out of reach for God's grace. You see, it's by God's grace that we have redemption, that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and that we have a relationship with our God. It's not because we are good, but it is because we have a good God. Charles Spurgeon says this, Our Lord Jesus is ever giving and does not for a solitary instant withdraw his hand. The rain of his grace is always dropping. The river of his bounty is ever flowing. And the wellspring of his love is constantly overflowing. As the king can never die, so his grace can never fail. If you're here today and you're hearing the name Jesus, that is because of God's grace. I wonder though if 
just really quickly, is that something that you read on a page or something you've heard multiple times? It's something that's theory in your mind or is something that you genuinely daily receive from Christ that you need? That right now, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, you are loved by God because of what Christ did on the cross for you. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you have been, that His grace is sufficient for you. And today you are forgiven and loved and you can accept His invitation of salvation if you choose. May that grace wash over you today. Because it's from that understanding of grace that it begins to flow on to others. Grace is a gift to be shared both for us, but also for others. You see, when our heart is captivated by Christ, our attention and love most naturally bends towards others. It's a gift we want to share. It's a gift that we can't keep to ourselves. And I I, I love reading these narratives in Scripture, and I just um, I, I, I wish I was just in these scenes, right? Uh, I was, wish I was sitting next to Jesus as he was talking to these people. And two that come to my mind um, is on the, on the right here. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. Um, but we have uh, Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And he's, he's climbing the tree. Zacchaeus was a man that um, uh, would uh, really steal from people. He was greedy. Um, and, and he would um, extort people for their finances, his own country people. And, uh, and so uh, he went from a man that was greedy and the grace of God, once sitting with Jesus, came into a man or became a man that was generous and giving. And on the left, we have this um, picture of this woman at the well. And you may have all heard it if you're brand new to church. You wouldn't have. But there's this story of this woman at the well and uh, she is uh, living this life of, of shame and sin and she's uh, sleeping with multiple men and none of them are her own husband and She's at this place of her life where she is marginalized by her community and her world and she's taking some water at the well and Jesus comes down and sits next to her and he begins to converse with her and talk with her and he presents this beautiful opportunity of grace and forgiveness to her. And I love what happens. She she leaves her bucket there and she runs back into town and she begins to share about this guy that she met, Jesus, And I can assume that she's sharing with people that marginalized her. She's sharing with people that actually mistreated her. And she's telling them about, hey, you've got to know this guy, Jesus. And I love what it says in this text. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You see, when we have received this grace, it most naturally overflows to others. Matthew 10.8 says, Jesus says to the disciples, freely you have received, freely give. I can tell you right now that I am at my best as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a pastor. You choose the category when I make my home in Christ, when I cement my life in Jesus It's actually from that place that I can stop trying to grab from others and from the world that I find myself complete in Him and that I can begin to shift my attention and my eyes to those around me. I wonder what grace means for you. I wonder if you've received this type of grace that we see. Now let me me just answer this question. What stops it? So we've been given it 
as we get it, it actually should flow through us. It's the natural thing it does. But what blocks it? I think one obstacle that obstructs sharing this gift is we believe possibly we have earned it or we deserve it. We are raised in a culture that world, in a world that says our value is equivalent to what we produce. That we, that we love saying, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really busy. Probably all said it, we probably said it today. I'm really busy. Or it's maybe even the first thing we do. We ask someone, hey, mate, what do you do with yourself? And depending on what they answer, we begin to assign value accordingly. That who we are is the result of what we have done and what we have received is the sum of what we have achieved. But unfortunately, what can happen is that cultural mindset can sink into our faith. I think it's fueled by uh, this sort of disposition. Um, I want you to imagine, this has happened to me many times, um, but you invite me over for dinner, my wife and I, Grace, and you say, Adam, come on over. I'm expecting a lot of invitations after this. No, I'm joking. Um, Come on over. And I said, great, we would love to be at your house tonight. We can't wait to eat with you uh, and spend time with you. Um, what do you need us to bring? And you're like, don't bring anything. That's what you would say, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd say, don't worry about it. Don't bring anything. And I say, great, no worries. And, uh, you know, the day comes and um, I talk to my wife. I'm like, we're, go- yeah, we're going here. And she's like, okay, what are we bringing? I said, no, they said, don't bring anything. No, no, I know, but what are we bringing? That, how many times has that happened? Um, this is uh, favourites, which the, I love the catchphrase, um, which is uh, the thing you bring when you're told not to bring anything. Um, there, there is this natural disposi- disposition in us that we have to bring something to the table. And we do the same thing with our relationship with God. Now, if we're not careful... We can, allow, we, we can start to believe that we actually do bring something to the table. But the reality is we brought nothing and Christ brought it all. When we believe that we have brought or earned something, we place those same expectations on those around us. We unconsciously say, my love and my ability to become a vessel of God's grace is dictated on whether I believe the person deserves it or whether they have earned it. We say things like, I only help people that help themselves. But how often do we unconsciously or consciously just assign a measure of grace that we will give someone? We might have grace for our child, or, um, but we won't have grace for our husband or our wife. We are willing to be patient, maybe for an L plater on the road, but um, someone said nope. <laughs> um, but when that person doesn't let you in, or that person just cuts in front of you, uh, or goes up the left lane, or whatever they do, it infuriates us, doesn't it? You see, grace is not the same for all people, sometimes in our lives. I wonder if you offer grace like that, where you have all the grace in the world for people that you like, but for people that you don't, it's very limited. I know I can struggle with that. David Simmons says, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most um, emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these, the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness, and the failure to give out the unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to others. 
We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. Here's the reality. The standard in which we understand how we have been richly given God's grace, forgiveness, love, will be the measure in which we give grace to others. Not because that's what we do to pay God back or to earn his approval, but it's what we do because that is who we are as restored and redeemed people of God, as his sons and daughters. So what does it look like practically? So we've been given a gift that most naturally flows through us when we know we have received it freely. But how do we do it? If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to Luke chapter 19. We're going to address um, that story of Zacchaeus up the tree. Luke chapter 19. Um, I say that because there will be a few verses that, are, that won't be on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. In verse 8, if you've got your Bibles there. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What a powerful narrative. If you've never uh, walked through a story like that or, or heard of a tax collector in this context, really briefly, these guys are not liked. Um, if you've ever played billionaire, and played billionaire before? It's like the one guy you don't want at the end. It's the tax collector. And you're slowly trying to pass him around. It's like that, but much severe in this culture. You see, tax collectors were Jewish people that, li- that actually worked for the Roman government and that they would collect tax from their own people uh, with the full force of the Roman army behind them so the people couldn't do anything about it. But what the, uh, what the tax collectors would do is they would take more money for themselves uh, at the expense of their countrymen so they could uh, take a bit more of a profit. And so these guys were not loved, Right? They, they, the people didn't want to hang out with these guys. And, and because of that, um, people kept them at a distance. But here's the thing about grace, and we're going to read this story, is firstly, grace changes the way that we see. So there's this busy street and crowd, and the text tells us Zach is a pretty short guy. Now, it's probably not hard to assume that Zach was not considered by others around him to go to the front uh, to see Jesus. They would have just left him be. And I think more likely um, than anything, what he had to do then was, he, and we see, he had to climb the tree to see who this Jesus guy was that everyone was talking about. And Jesus is walking amongst this busy crowd and he stops amongst it and he sees Zach and says, come down, let's have, let's ha- let me come to your house. Maybe let's have a meal together. You see, what sticks out to me, though, is the contrast in response between Jesus and the people with Zach. 
Jesus stops in the crowd with everyone around him, calls Zacchaeus by his name, and walks with him to his home. But what does the crowd say? Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You see, what we witness is Jesus and crowd and the crowd both see the same man, but they both see something different. They both see the same man, but they both see something different. And the difference is grace. Grace changes the way that we see each other, but how often does our heart operate like the crowd? Let me give you an example like this. Um, I'll talk about the world, then I want us to talk about what it looks like for us as believers. I think a great example of that is sports. You'll see a picture on there, and I blanked out his sign because I wasn't sure if it was offensive or not. So, um, In our everyday lives, we can, in one sense, be, especially when we're arriving at a game, uh, be quite humane and quiet, like, quite, we can quite get along. But what we find at these games, whether it be, this is uh, New South Wales versus Queensland, um, state of origin, um, any New South Wales people in the room? We've got a few. Any Queenslanders? There we go. Maybe AFL, maybe, maybe football that you've just been watching with the World Cup. But here's the thing. We can, um, we can quickly, as we enter in these games, go from people that sort of respect each other, maybe even friends, and what happens is because we're on different teams, we become rivals. On many occasions, we actually see brawls that break out in these uh, stadiums. You see, what happens is something that we really love and value, like our team, starts to feel like it's under attack by someone else. I believe what happens is each of us have values and convictions that we deeply hold outside of the football game and as people. And when someone or something holds a value different to ours, we quickly feel like we are being personally attacked. All around the world, we see we're not getting along the way that we should, right? There's, we're different. We've got different languages and races and, and gender and religion and politics, and the list goes on. Now, this difference can be powerful, but it can also cause conflict. I believe that that is what begins to happen in us, that this very camps that we camp out in begin to feel attacked when those people disagree. And so we see liberals and conservatives, Protestants and Catholics dividing themselves, Jews and Arabs, black and white races, pro-life and pro-choice groups, feminists and traditionalists, and the list goes on. What can happen in this frustration is we don't see people who are different from us equally important citizens of this world and as loved and valued by God. We make enemies out of people that are different. And we begin to treat them differently like the world. We begin to see them a little bit like the crowd saw Zacchaeus. But the reality is when it looks like what it means to be a vehicle of grace to the world, can I just clarify a few things that helps put us in the right posture? Is two things. Is One, that we can't, as followers of Jesus, expect the world to have the same convictions that we do. We can't expect the world to want to live and see the world, marriage, sexuality, um, uh, money, all these things the way that we do in the Bible because they don't have faith. The second thing is we can't expect people to follow through on these things because they don't have the Holy Spirit to actually do them. 
And so, so quickly we, we, anima, we, we sort of alienate people or we create enemies of people in this world when both they don't have the same conviction and both don't have the power to live out that life. I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for our faith or try to convince the world otherwise or have a righteous, maybe even frustration. But it means this, where this is where our grace as the church should shine brightest by the way that we see people in this world. When we encounter those that are living in such ways that we don't agree or feel offended by, we rise above it. Call them by their name and give them the love that Jesus does. We got to see everyone as people worthy of love and redemption and to serve them, even if they offend us. They're welcome here at this church. And I know everyone's welcome at this church because I'm here and you're here. Everyone is welcome here because of Jesus. You see, by our witness, it gives the world a visible sign of the grace and love of Jesus that we follow. Secondly, inside the church. What does it look like for us to look at a fellow believer? And I think this is revolutionary, this text from Paul. 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm just going to read two verses for time's sake. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, verse 16. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does this mean? That because of Christ's work on the cross, you and I as followers of Jesus no, look, no longer look at each other as what you see is what you get. We no longer view ourselves, uh, view other people or see other people in their current circumstance or their sin or the way they're living or the way they hurt us or treat us or maybe even currently treating us. And, and this is what Don spoke about last week. But we see those around us, our neighbours, You can just turn to your name and say, I see you. We see them as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in whom are redeemed and who are forgiven and who are loved by God. And that their sin was paid for on the cross by Jesus and so they don't need to pay for it anymore in this life or the way that we treat them. That we can just embrace each other And by the way we embrace each other, we will shine a light to the world that shows a message greater than the one that they know right now. Let me say this. Imagine imagine what it would look like if grace reigned in our relationships, in our marriage. Right now, I know you can think of a space where grace needs to reign in marriage, both funny and deep between husband and wives, between your family, in the way that you raise your children. Imagine what grace would look like if it rained in this room in the way we treated one, each other, treated one another, in the way that we treated people at work or our friends, in the way that we treated people that let us down or kept us waiting. You see, grace starts with how we see people, both in and outside of the church. I wonder if you have a lens of grace when you see those around you. Secondly, I've only got two. So this is the last one. Number two, grace means we are present in people's lives. 
Verse 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love this because it says that Jesus was passing through. I can imagine Jesus was a pretty busy guy. Like, he had a lot on his plate. He was trying to pack in a lot in three years that he was trying to get done. And now it says he was passing through. So I don't know whether he was, you know, that was a planned stop or whatever it is, but he stops amongst the busyness of his life and the crowd, and he stops and he looks over to Zacchaeus. And he calls him by his name, and he welcomes him in, and he goes to his home, and he sits down with him, and he listens and talks, and he operate, and he lives in his life. You see, grace reveals itself to people in the way that we are present. Nothing says I love you more than when we are present in someone's life. I tell you this because I think it is something we need to wrestle with in our culture. Our society says that fast pace is good, that our culture is fights for our attention and our time everywhere we go. Do you know, I was thinking the other day, um, prompted by this thought, is do you remember when um, you could say you were bored? Have you noticed we don't really say that anymore? Like, there's not a time really you go, oh, I'm bored. Because the moment that we have something not have our attention, we just like flick open our phone or we distract ourselves with something else. But boredom is actually a unique opportunity to actually look around us and show people grace. So I, I, I dare you, I challenge you, try to get bored this week. It's so easy for us to go from one thing to the next, both in our minds and physically. It could be work, over busy schedule, family. We live really fast lives and we can do this at keeping people at an arm's length. To be present means to make people our agenda, understanding that people aren't problems to manage, but an opportunity for love. Just have a look at this. Japanese theologian Pasuku Koyama says this. I love this message. He says, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. You know, I think this is so beautifully represented. Um, uh, I have the opportunity of working here and a part of that is we host a lot of funerals and um, uh, I get to watch uh, this man named Jeff Cameron. You may know him and he looks after our venue hire, but uh, we have people coming, um, whether they've been in church before or not, and most likely they haven't walked into a church before, especially this one. And and we have people coming and they're, and they're grieving as they've lost loved ones. And um, I, I, I watch Jeff. And Jeff has like a million things to do. He's hosting a funeral. There's things going through his mind. But you watch Jeff and he is just present with people. As, that, as people come in and as they're grieving and as they're feeling lost, he's sitting there and he's listening. He's making them feel that they are the most important person right in that moment and that they have him. To walk alongside. What a beautiful place for grace. Another way, place I see grace at work in the way that we are present is in, within our youth leaders. 
You see, grace is offering love and effort to others, even when they don't offer the same thing back to us. And I know from, from years in youth ministry, I see our youth leaders arrive every Friday night and to make themselves available during the week. And uh, they are just there to serve and love their community. And, um, and so often you're texting young people and you're trying to get something back. And it's like trying to, I don't know if you've ever texted a teenager. You don't get much back. It doesn't really feel too rewarding. But grace tells them to continue to pursue. Grace tells them to continue to love. And that speaks for every ministry that operates in this church. But you see, grace means that we are present with people. Recent studies show that one in three people say that they're lonely. How wild is that? That loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day to our health. How heartbreaking is that? We get to step into those moments. I wonder right now, I just want you to, maybe if you're taking notes, what is one person right now you know you need to extend grace to by being present in in their life this week? You can tick that over in your mind or that flick through. Let me just finish with this. Grace empowers us for good works. 2 Peter 1 says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. To what 2 Corinthians 15, we saw um, last week, Don spoke to us and he said, you know, how Jesus said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. I love this text from um, Paul, who writes in 2 Corinthians 8 9, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. To give you context for this passage as he's talking to the church of Corinth around uh, the topic of finances and, and instead of them hoarding the grace of, uh, and the finances that they have been given, he says to open it up to understand that God is sufficient for you. And I think this is the very principle that we see uh, happen through, all throughout Scripture is that God's grace is, grace is sufficient for you for whatever you, he has called you to do. Whatever good work he has laid upon your feet to live out, there is grace for you. And so I know every single one of us in this room today needs grace. Whether it be to raise a family, whether it be to live right in the relationships that we have, whether it be the the friend, friend or a family member or our spouse or with our children or with a co-worker or with something, a task that God's given us. We all need God's unmerited favour to live this life. And if you think you don't, you're wrong. (laughs) Sorry, that was blunt. (laughs) I've lost for words. We need God's grace. We need it to live this life. And the world needs to see the church live out grace in order to know God's love. And so what I want to do this morning, I'm going to finish here. Ben, you can come on up. Um, Is I just want to pray for uh, anyone in this room that says, um, I need need grace. I need grace. I need God's help. I need His forgiveness maybe for something. I need His divine power to help me through something. Um, I need his help this week with what I'm walking through. And I just want to pray a prayer over you. And so you don't need to put your hand up. It's between you and God. I'm just going to pray for you. And then um, the band will take us in our last song.
Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are good and gracious and kind. And right now we just come before you, myself including. And God, we just need your grace to live this life. Lord, we need your help. We need your divine power through your Holy Spirit to live out the life that you have called us to. And I just ask right now for the, us in this room that are feeling like we're struggling or we don't know what to do next or we don't know what the next step is. Right now, God, I just pray that your grace would just cover each and every one of us, that you would give us the grace that we need to do the good work that you have set before us, to be the man or the woman that you have called us to be, to be the friend or the family member or the co-worker. We just come with open palms now and we just, we just ask God, help us. Help us be a vessel for your grace in this world. Help us long to just give, Lord, infinitely because you have given to us infinitely. Lord, we just lay our lives at your feet. Help us follow you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, band.